You're now listening to the Inside Out Podcast with Jimmy Hunt. Get it. Welcome to Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. My job is simple, to improve my mental fitness through any means possible and deconstruct what works, what doesn't, and what I think may be able to help you become mentally fitter. And quite often, it leads me to some pretty interesting people, places, and stories. And today, we have one of those people. His name is Nigel Beach. And I first met Nigel Beach on a beach, ironically enough. Uh, I don't actually remember how I got there or why I got there, but I had to go for a swim in the in the cold ocean. Uh, and then we did some breathing in the sand dunes afterwards. And then we went and had lunch afterwards. And now Nigel Beach and I are friends. Uh, I don't know how many years ago that was. Uh, but then he invited me to uh, a workshop up in Auckland that he did uh, around the Wim Hof method. And so I went to that and he made me breathe a lot and he made me get a nice. And unfortunately, we're still friends. And the reason we're still friends is that the man is brilliant at what he does. Now, I, you're another one of those people, Nigel, that I, I try to explain what you do. And it's a bit hard because you do so many things for so many people. So what is it, in your words, that you do? Hey, Jimmy. Yeah, man, that's that's all true, That how we met. And thanks for that. Brings back good memories. Um, so what, what do I do? It's funny. Um, someone asked me this on the weekend. And I said, I don't know. What do I do? And then I said, well, I try and help people who are struggling. I help people that are struggling with back pain, knee pain, neck pain, or with anxiety or with, um, you know, just challenges to their mental state. But then I also help people um, who are trying to optimize their performance. So say uh, All Blacks that I work with or NRL stars. But what's fascinating is uh, the premise of the work is all the same. I mean, I'm trying to help someone be better. Yeah, and that's that's wonderful. That's why that's why you and I are friends. Uh, I want to be better, and I'm I'm using you to make myself better. And and, and you're a nice you're a nice man, and I like you. But um, and this is the thing, like you uh, you have a you have a physiotherapy practice, uh, which you can't get an appointment at because it's continuously full. And you know the example I sort of give for for you is you're just kind of a miracle worker for the body. In regards to the people that I've sent to you and the times that I've been in there, pretty much every single time I go in there, I'm like, this is my problem. And you're like, no, it's not. And I'm like, yes, it fucking is. This is what hurts. And you're like, yeah, that might be what hurts, but that's not what's causing it. And we have to deal with this and then that will take that away. And I've seen you do it for me, my dad and a bunch of other people. And I guess it's just a more holistic take on the human body than, than most practitioners. Would that be right? Yeah, that's right, Jimmy. And I think when, you know, I did um, physiotherapy here in New Zealand, did the degree and came out of there and I thought, and I was a qualified physiotherapist and I thought, gee, I know nothing. So I continued on that pathway of education i did numerous how much money did you spend last year on education 
for yourself? Just last year, which was my 22nd year in practice, I think $12,000. And that was in my COVID year. <laughs> so Yeah. And I, I love, because you mentioned that the other night when I was around at your house, and I thought that was brilliant. And a point just to stop and talk about for a second, as a person who is continuing to learn, because you don't know it all, and you can always yeah. you can always know more and be better. And do you find that investing that sort of money? I mean, not everyone has that sort of money to invest in a year, but proportionately investing that much money into your education each year just you know shows dividends further on. Yeah, absolutely. For for so many things too, Jimmy. For it, it's not just a transaction where I pay some money and I get some knowledge. I actually. I make real connections with people who are on even a similar path to me. So then that broadens my scope and I get to meet great people and those people remain friends. And um, so it's, you know, paying dividends in, in terms of those connections, but also in terms of causing stimulation. And what we also spoke about the other day was um, the desire to do something that's uncomfortable. And, you know, I spoke about my journey with meditation and how I was making excuses for what I thought was meditation, but really I just didn't really want to do the real deep work. Um, and it's sort of when you commit to a course or commit to some learning and you've paid the money, you better show up and you better do it. So it's kind of like an enforced learning as well for me. Because that's something we talked about the other day as well, is paying the money because you don't uh, value what comes free or easily. Uh, so Nigel's, right. on a, Nigel's on a path to charge more money for what he does because it's, it's very, very, very valuable. Not me, though. Don't charge me. Just charge the other people <laughs> and, and we'll, we'll keep doing deals. <laughs> so you have your physiotherapy practice and you, you help people with their bodies and that, but as we know, your life outside of your practice is uh, rather full. It's hard, it's hard getting in contact with Nigel Beach because he's so busy with everything. But the main thing, I guess, to, to put it in, a, in one broad category is basically hot and cold therapy. Would that be a, was that yeah. the broad category of what, what I'd call it? Yeah, exactly. I think the main thing that I try and impart on people is, first of all, like an education around how they get into these states of distress or pain, because I think that's the key. The, one of the biggest things out there that I see is problematic in the medical fraternity is this lack of education, true education, and lack of empowerment into the client. And it's not because you know, the medical industry are filled with people that just don't care a lot. It's unfortunately um, the, the constraints put around access to medicine, you know, how, how long does a GP spend with you now? I don't know, 10 minutes if you're minutes. lucky. Yeah. So how is someone who's very well-meaning meant to do their work in 11 minutes? Doesn't matter who they are. So how I, yeah, how I deal with people is really I try and educate them on how they came to get into this situation and then empower them to know that they can actually come out of it. Typically the medical model is based around less listening to people and more diagnostic scanning of people through x-rays, ultrasounds, you know, why is that bit sore? What is the injury? What is the torn, uh, torn ligament or muscle and what 
is the tissue healing time, tissue healing time, and what can be done for it. Whereas I think it is such a deeper thing. When, when someone is in distress, you've really got to understand how do they sleep, what are these stresses going on at the moment, and even that's a funny one, Jimmy. You ask people, hey, is there much stress going on in your life? You're guaranteed to get a no, no, a very defensive no. And, um, or if they say, oh, well, uh, nothing more than normal, you know, they normalize the, this um, state of stress. So that's pretty much what I do. But then how do I get people out of those states? Well, then I have to work on their autonomic nervous system in the main, which is the automatic nervous system. And I do that through. So, so, so the auto, autonomic nervous system is just the, the sort of subconscious responses that we have as humans. Yeah, you're right. It's automatic. It's beyond our reasonable control. It's like breathing, for example. We don't have to yep. think about breathing. Our heart cool. beats by itself. Um, all, all the automatic processes, uh, sweating, for example, yep. digestion. Um, so it's pretty much my work is focused on how do we tune up that system, which has become corrupted, really. It has become corrupted. And the calibration of that system is calibrated to our environment. And our environment these days is not like our typical uh, primal or tribal or uh, community-based environment, how it should, should be. You know, we're, we're looking for all the shortcuts we can possibly get. And uh, with this advancement in technology, it's actually brought about massive consequences to that autonomic nervous system. All right. So you're saying that our autonomic nervous system is out of whack and yeah. the, and that like you can pretty much generalize that through a population, right? Because of the way that we are as a society. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. so if as a population, uh, our autonomic nervous system is out of whack, what are we doing to get it back uh, into homeostasis. So, and, and there are other things at play too. It's not all just the autonomic nervous system. They, they do become physical constraints to uh, out of living in this sort of way as well. But the, in terms of the autonomic nervous system, we can, we can actually tune that up. We can recalibrate it. And uh, a great modality to use is this hormesis, this um, a, a small amount of stress delivered in the right way can deliver uh, exponential gain, so a resilience into that autonomic nervous system. So, for example, um, putting your body under some controlled stress, let's say the ice, or in turn the heat, or it might be hypoxia, so it's a lack of oxygen in the body, but in a controlled way under a prescribed dosage um, can, can really tune in that autonomic system to increase its threshold to come on, you could sort of think, give us a, a better barrier before we do get overwhelmed by that sympathetic state. Basically, our sympathetic stress system comes on when our body fears uh, damage to limbs or loss of life. So that will come on. Now, our body can interpret someone not indicating at the roundabout and we can we can fly into this rage state uncontrollable and our body will go into the stress state you'll feel the heartbeat going faster you'll feel the blood going shooting from the gut to the periphery you might feel a little sick in the stomach so all of these things are sort of being 
um, all of these things used to keep us alive is sort of being triggered by things that aren't really life or death situations. It's because our calibration has been brought to a, a, a new low and they come on far easier now, the sympathetic stress state, than what it should be. So Our thresholds got a lot shorter. Yeah, that's it. That's the easiest way to think about it, yeah. There's a much more complex sort of um, description, but I think yeah. people that's need we don't need, to get, we don't need to get into that. We need to, we need to, under, we, we need to understand that, um, you know, like you said, we get triggered far easily far easier now than we did in the past and Absolutely. and those triggers kind of keep us and for some people at least keep us in a perpetual fight flight freeze mode yes and so what what happens when you when you're in in that mode for too long well, that mode is very catabolic because that, that system is made to keep us alive. So it, it basically, it just chucks a whole lot of kindling on the fire to try and give you a short burst of energy or a short burst of whatever you need to get out of that state. But it comes at a consequence. So for example, your body releases cortisol. Cortisol tells your body to use glucose or sugar as a fuel. So sugar will come out of your muscles. You'll start burning sugar instead of fat, which is a much more slow burning, you know, longer lasting fuel source that we've got an ample supply. So let's say if you're burning sugar the whole time, your body will crave more sugar. So then you'll go and crave sugary foods or carbohydrates to replace that. And then what we get into is this, you know, all the problems that come from a high sugar diet, for example. And also what happens is our endocrine system switches when we are in that sympathetic state this is a huge one um, we no longer produce adequate amounts of uh, testosterone progesterone estrogen dopamine our reward hormone which kind of makes sense because if you're in a life or death situation someone's trying to take you on and kill you you don't really want to feel rewarded at that uh, at yeah. that notion you know you don't want to feel happy or elated so it makes sense that our body will shut down those those hormones and neurotransmitters, which give us this feeling of uh, satisfaction and reward. So um, we get into this sort of a hormonal imbalance. Um, you know, we're seeing IVF now. Everyone's going through IVF. Well, we all know people going through IVF. But if you think about it, Jimmy, if we're in that state of, like if there's famine, our fertility goes down because we're not made to procreate yeah. in states of severe stress. So when we're in this state of severe stress now in this Western civilized environment, the same things happen to our body. Fertility goes down. Um, we're seeing that around the world. The fertility rates are plummeting around the world. Right, yeah. <clears throat> and I've, I've got to think it's part in part due to our environment and how we're acting. And, you know, we're not made to have um children if we're in really high anxiety states the body just the mother nature knows what to do so it doesn't want to bring it into a um an environment which could be dangerous because not only would the child die but uh, the mother would die too and the body tries to preserve that so let's talk about anxiety for for an example you know that anxiety is spending a lot of time in that fight flight free state um and you know, I know you have some stories about helping people with anxiety. And so 
you know, what what is one of the ways, some of the ways that you you help people who come along presenting with massive anxiety? Yeah, I think the key again is coming back to that education because we're hearing a lot of uh, you know this mental health awareness now. We're hearing about anxiety. I'm seeing a um, a young girl at the moment, teenage girl, and I actually asked her about anxiety. And I said, "Do you do you feel that you have any anxiety?" She goes, "Well." Yeah, I do, but everyone has anxiety now. Everyone at all the parties I go to, everyone has anxiety. And it's, I think, Jimmy, because it's not been articulated well as to what anxiety actually is. And you're, you're seeing it used in popular culture now um, as an adjective, adjective for something that it's not really. Okay, so I try and differentiate between worry, which worry is a perfectly normal state for us to be in happens in our mind and it should lead to a rational change if it leads to change that's great worry comes in we process that and then we make a change and things get better worry becomes a problem if sort of thoughts start to ruminate or we don't make change or we stay locked in those thoughts and they that can become sort of compulsive or obsessive but then anxiety is sort of the mix between the worry and also the physiological response to stress. So what is that? Well, the physiological response to stress is an increased respiratory rate. You breathe faster, more breaths per minute. You breathe in a different pattern. So that breathing is no longer diaphragmatic. It's now up in the chest, and that can lead to all sorts of consequences going forward from that. Um, It also causes the blood to shunt from the stomach, the gut, into the periphery. Because that's trying to, you know, give you blood to where you need it to fight this threat, legs and arms. So people can develop disorders in their stomach, like IBS, which has been bandied about with reckless abandon without actually getting to the true cause of what this disruption to their stomach is. Um, what else? Um, this feeling of not being able to take enough air in. So let's say like a state of panic, which is like hyperventilation, Jimmy. And then they can... Yeah, you've got it. And with that comes sort of feeling pain or tingling in the in the hands or decreased sensation, um, uh, feeling the state of tension in the muscles. So you get so many different effects from that response to stress that is fine if it's used in an isolated incident where we are actually under true stress. But if that's happening all the time and our heart rate is beating at such a high uh, level to such a low stimulus, well, that becomes problematic and that can lead to increased inflammation, which leads to autoimmune conditions, leads to depression, Jimmy, because as you and I know, 40% of depression is caused by inflammation. So And so so how do we how do we get ourselves out of that then? If if people were listening to what you were just saying and going, Yep, yep, that's me, that's me. I yep, I feel that way. You know, what are, mm. what are we doing to get ourselves out of that state? Yeah, these states of overwhelm, I think we've got to pull on some levers. How can we develop equilibrium back into our system? Uh, The simplest, most affordable way is breathing. So breathing develops an instant change in our physiology. Um, And there are numerous ways we can look at it. Like here in the clinic, Jimmy, I would assess someone individually. I I would talk to them. There'd be like a full consultation, understand what they're is going on in their life you'd look at some objective markers which would tell me what their physiology is like 
But that will only affect how many people I can see in my clinic. And as you you know, I'm pretty overwhelmed in here. So what's the general what's the general thing that we can just help everyone with is slow down your breathing. So from a, a day-to-day point of view, we want to be breathing at around six breaths per minute. So we should practice that slowing down or minimizing the breathing. We're actually over-breathing far too much. And then if we book in our day with a practice where we try and elongate our exhalation, and that will deliver us into the parasympathetic state, which is the calm state. So an exhalation of seven seconds will deliver us into this calming state. So how about bookending our day with a breath in through the nose and an elongated breath out through the nose of more than seven seconds. And let's say we do that for five minutes. And if you don't have five minutes, do it for four, you know, make a start. That would be the simplest way we try to start to think about our parasympathetic state coming on. Yeah. And, um, and so the, I guess the, the thing that we really need to sort of put together is something you mentioned a little earlier, which was putting ourselves in slight discomfort in order to be able to bring ourselves out of that. And that practice allows us to be able to start rewiring some stuff up top, but then have the ability to bring ourselves out of a state when we don't choose it, when it's just forced upon us. And so, you know, you use cold and hot for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so the cold is is very powerful because, um, and the heat is very powerful too, but the cold is sort of easy to access. You know, everyone can turn their shower to cold at the end of their normal warm shower. You know, we grow up now fearing the cold and that gets instilled into us through um, the people around us. So there might be parents telling us, don't go outside, it's too cold. Don't go outside, oh, it's cold, you'll catch your death. You know, all of this fear around the cold, which really is unfounded. Um, You know, the research says you're more likely to get the common cold being inside, um, you know, nice and warm rather than being outside. And they did this study with a whole group of Marines in the States where they had them train with their shirts off outside in the rain. None of those guys got sick. It was the the other group that was back inside playing cards. They all got sick or higher rates of getting the common cold. So um, all this, all these fears are unfounded, but they're drilled into us so significantly. I'll oh, put a jumper on. Oh, you got to do this, do that. And then also we've been heavily marketed to. People make a lot of money um, selling people these solutions like heat pumps. You know, we need a heat pump in every room. We, you know, try telling that to any of the tribal cultures. Yeah, someone mentioned experience. this term the other day, which has stuck with me and I need to go read the book about it, which is the comfort epidemic. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's what we are in, aren't we? Like every, everyone will sell us something to make us comfortable. Everything. Yes. And, and and what that means is the more comfortable we are, the more tolerant we become to the comfort, the easier it is for us to be boom, no longer comfortable 
straight in a state of fight, flight, freeze. Um, and so we need to be putting as many little uncomfortable things together as possible, realizing that they're not uncomfortable and being having that practice of getting us out. And so you mentioned uh, the cold shower. And that uh, was something that you taught me at the start uh, with the Wim Hof stuff, which was, you know, 30 seconds cold shower um, after your normal shower. And you start by letting it hit you in the chest. And it hits you in the chest and you go, <gasps> oh, oh, and you breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Because as you were saying before, that's what, that's what teaches our body that we are okay. And that's what moves us back to the parasympathetic nervous system. And then after like a week, you turn the shower on, it hits your chest and you're like, eh, eh, that's fine. And then so you turn around and let it hit your back. And then you're like, ah! And then after a week on the back, you're fine again, you put your, put your head under. You know, and, and that practice of, and I just, I love the word practice because it's, it's the same for meditation as it is for this stuff, is that the more we practice it, then the more it comes naturally to us uh, when, we, when we need it, when it's forced upon us, when we don't have the choice. And I'll, I'll always remember you telling me that, and that is something that I prescribe to people all the time, just that very simple starting process. Did I miss anything on that? No, you've got it down in one, and that's the thing, the simple. And people are so tuned in, again, it's through this marketing and manipulation in the marketing that people now think um, we actually have to sweat to be doing some positive, uh, something positive for our health, um, whereas actually it can be a lot easier than that. So all of these, um, this notion around fitness, you know, I'm sure if I asked people on the street, hey, um, you want to get fit, name three things that are going to get you fit. It would all involve, say, running, running or lifting weights. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. yeah, all of this stuff. And, you know, these group fitness classes now, which people are going in for 45 minutes and just, you know, punishing themselves really in, in a way. Um, but, and, and there is something noble about that, but I think people need to zoom out and see that there is some very, very low hanging fruit that we can do and it's free, you know, and uh, it might feel a bit harder at first, but if it's hard, good, you probably need it more. So it's easy to go to a gym. Any mug can go to a gym and lift some weight and do three sets of 10 and, uh, you know, really read some magazine while they're on the cardio thing with the earphones and listening to someone, you know, listening to their music. Is that really true? Is that really truly elevating your health? I don't know, Jimmy. I reckon um, if you establish a, a breathing practice, a breathing routine, um, if you establish a routine of cold shower at the end of your warm, that can deliver profound effects. For example, it, there's a study in Denmark. They reduced uh, absenteeism through sickness um, by 27% in 30 days. So if you went into any office uh, or any corporate and said, hey, we're going to reduce your, your sick leave by 27%, they would be champing at the bit. 
The problem yeah. is, it's not a pill, Jimmy. You can't. Yeah. If you could give them the cold shower pill, they'd buy it, man. Yeah, and um, that's it. People don't do things because they're uncomfortable. That's, yes. It's the it's the simplest thing. And uh, but please tell me any wonderful benefit that you've ever had without putting in the work. Yeah, that's it. Oh, there's none. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and people shouldn't shy away I, from that. Yeah, it's something that I, you know, report on this podcast constantly is that what we're on is a journey. And you're right. If you could put it in a pill form, you'd make billions of dollars. Uh, you tell someone it takes six weeks and they'll, they'll laugh at you and run away. Or, or most commonly, they'll go, okay, cool, and they'll f- stop two days in. And so, you know, I'm forever just trying to encourage people here to opt into their own well-being in the long run. And that requires getting uncomfortable and it requires chipping away at stuff every day over time and not just a six-week boot camp or a 45-minute workout or a pill or a shake or a yoga retreat or something like that. And this is another one of those examples that to get yourself uh, more in the parasympathetic nervous system rather than the sympathetic, it takes time. It takes practice. There's no other way around that. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other thing that people ask me, you know, um, what's next? Oh, what, what shall I do next? And it's like, well, you're doing it. This is you the now. Same thing. This is... The same thing. Yeah. Keep doing the same yeah. thing. Do you go to um, uh, Tibet and talk to the Buddhists? And, um, you know, you ask them what they do. They probably meditate for two hours a day. They're not chasing the next thing. They're just keeping consistency in their practice. And that's yeah. the thing that we find hard. Yeah, absolutely. And so... So what's the what's the hot got to do with it? So the the sauna, um, basically, sauna has so many health benefits. But I've I've got to say, it's it's got to be a certain kind of sauna. Um, typically, okay. in, in there New are Zealand, different types of saunas. Exactly. Now, if you're in Germany, you're not allowed to even call these infrared saunas saunas. They call them infrared closets or infrared oh. cabins, because okay. they will not let you call them a sauna. And it's actually against advertising guidelines. Um, because really, they're not a sauna. They're just a room with infrared lights in it. Uh, so what are, where, the, where, where do you find these? What are, what are these? I haven't really come across these. Yeah, so the infrared saunas are what you see mainly in the market today. Why? Because they're a hell of a lot cheaper. Um, and it doesn't take much to set one up. But the health benefits of infrared sauna... Um, are nowhere near that what they are of an authentic, let's call it an authentic Finnish sauna. But, you know, the Estonians would probably get up in arms at that because they'll probably say, hey, what about our sauna? So basically a Scandinavian sauna experience is typically one that is uh, in a hot room ranging from 80 to 105 degrees. And you need to be able to heat stones, which you can pour water on. Now, that that process emits the steam, um, so a more hydrated heat, and that's called a lolu. That's what they call it in Finnish, and that's what they would deem to be an authentic sauna. The infrared saunas, which throw out infrared light and the heat typically won't go above fifty degrees, they will not call that an authentic sauna. Right, and I 
strangely, now know four people that have installed saunas at their house, the uh, authentic ones, as you were saying. I know four people who have done it in the last 12, 18 months uh, for the health benefits. Um, I now go around to your house a couple of times a week for a sauna. I am not sure what the health benefits are, but uh, makes me feel nice and I enjoy talking to you. So why why am I going to sauna? Yeah, so when you do the authentic finished sauna, let's say, um, the health benefits have been really well researched, far more than any ice um, research, you know, far more than any ice therapy. Right. Um, and I think it's because so many more people, they've got a much wider population of people who they can investigate, and that's mainly in Scandinavia. So um Yari Laukinen did a fantastic study on around about, was it 2,800 males who sauna? And um, he, he looked at some longevity markers. And in that study, they found you had a 40% less risk of dying from any cause if you saunered four to six times a week. You less had likely a- to have a car crash. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah exactly. Probably because you're in the sauna every night. Fifty yeah, percent exactly. um, um, less less likely to suffer a cardiovascular death from saunering at that um, you know four to six times a week, um, and then all the benefits around brain health too, Jimmy, which is um, Alzheimer's. There's been studies which have shown a sixty six percent less risk of uh, developing Alzheimer's, 29% less risk of de- developing Alzheimer's. They're all different studies. Um, and then also um, dementia. There's been some good studies looking at um, de- delaying or reversing, actually, reversing early onset dementia. So a lot of factors that influence the brain positively. Now, how does this work is the key. Once you understand this, it sort of makes sense because when you expose yourself to significant heat stress, you release these proteins called heat shock proteins. Now, our body is made up of proteins. We've got proteins everywhere. They're all different kinds. When a protein gets damaged, it doesn't just die and fade away. It actually folds over. So the process of what stress does to our body, it folds over our proteins. You expose yourself to significant heat, these heat shock proteins are activated. They go and seek out these folded proteins and they unfold them. So it's it's pretty amazing about the regenerative effects of these heat shock proteins. That's how they work. They unfold. And then basically when these folded proteins uh, are folded, they stick together. So they cause a sclerosis, which can cause all manners of issues in the body. So they unfold and then they're not stuck together anymore. It's quite a fascinating thing. Interesting, because I just go and it makes me feel nice. Yes. Because I think it's an interesting thing. Like, I mean, I think this is true with so much stuff. I mean, you can, you can look at meditation, for example, and that if you wanted to go into all the research and you look at all the, all the studies and we know that it is amazing but when we start meditating for the first week or two weeks or month or even two months three months sometimes we feel nothing and I think one of the things is that we've kind of got to trust the science 
you just said a whole bunch of stuff about proteins and I'm like, fuck on sure, bro. Like, uh, yeah, cool. And it's nice to know. And it's nice to understand that. And it's nice to know that smarter people than me have gone and figured all that stuff out. And that's enough for me. That's enough for me to go. Yeah. Okay. I believe you guys. It is good for me. And so I'll go and do it. I, you know, so you've said to me a bunch of times that there's no, there's no one prescription for sauna, you know, some, some do it like I was talking to Art yesterday and he just does 25 minutes and that's it, one 25 minute. And you and I the other day and previous days, we've been doing 15 cold shower, 15 cold shower, 15 ice bath last week. And the cool thing is about, and I use this term a lot, is feel your way forward. And so it's about feeling what's right for you in the sauna getting out when you feel like it, getting back in when you feel like it. And what it does for me, you know that a couple of times I've gone a little hard and uh, almost passed out. And then I love the fact that I just could feel that coming on. I stop, I go outside, I lie on the grass, and I actually have some of the deepest meditations just just sitting there as well as the the process of sitting in the spa and the sauna um when it's really hot and you have to shut up um because it's the talking the one of the reasons i always pass out is i talk to nigel too much in the spa uh, but when you when you stop talking and you just focus on your breath in order to get through it it is an uncomfortable, it's not nice. It's not, hey, let's just sit in the sauna. It's all fun and nice. Like you actually have to work your way through that heat. And I like those processes and I, I find them valuable. And even though I don't know any of the long-term science about it, I think it does good for me in the short and medium term as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I think you've you've cracked it there because every time that you have gone in, Jimmy, and that you've come out and then you feel that, you know, you start to get lightheaded and then you need to sit down and then maybe lie down, it's like there's never any panic around that. You're very accepting of that feeling as a consequence of being in a room at 95 degrees Celsius. And you, you were trying to find our optimum dose, aren't we? And this is the thing when I first started into sauna, um, I was very keen to find out how long shall I go in for? How many rounds shall I do? And it wasn't until I started to learn about the culture of sauna and speaking to a, uh, an Estonian sauna master, and it was, he never times it. There's no timer inside the Scandinavian saunas. And they don't, they don't know how many rounds they're going to do because they go with what they feel like. And it was kind of like when you and I and Joel were in there uh, and Jess the other day, we didn't go in and say, right, we're going to do two rounds of this at this minute. It was sort of like, I think we ended up doing maybe four or five rounds because it just felt like that was right. And these Estonians and Finnish people and Scandinavian people and Russians, they've grown up with this from such a young age their intuition around how long they need is far better than ours. So I think we're probably more likely to get it wrong at the start than, you know, coming into it now in our stage of life. 
than, um, than them. But it's interesting, the Estonian sauna master, he didn't know anything about the science around it. He did it because of what you said. He just feels great. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. He, yeah, and, and that's really... I'm saying, you know, and, and we, tr we trust the science. You know, these are smart people doing smart things. Um, but even if I didn't feel good, I'd still do it just because I know that putting myself in those uncomfortable situations, and again, I'll, I'll reiterate, these saunas are not just like you're, you're at a spa resort and you just go have a nice sauna. You're, what do you got at, like 93 degrees or whatever that, you know, yeah. we're, we're having, it's like, it's fucking hot. And it's tough to breathe, yeah. Yeah, it's tough to breathe, especially when Jess puts way too much of that uh, oil stuff on and <laughs> hits you in the face. Um, but, you know, these are, these are another example of controlled discomfort to be able to learn to move through that and be comfortable. And, and like you said, I'm, you know, it is because of the work that I have done that I can end up in a bad situation of, you know, feeling like I'm almost going to pass out and just going, ah, I'm absolutely fine. Like, you know, for, on, the, on the bigger scheme of things, you know, if I was if I was driving a car and I was almost going to pass out, yeah, then I'd probably freak out because there is there is much bigger consequences at stake. But I'm sitting on a bench about to pass out, and so I can understand and with my practice be able to go back and go, Meh, just chill, and then you're like, well, I'm fine. And I think that's a valuable step, whether it's the cold, whether it's the heat, whether it's anything else that controlled discomfort learning to get out of it is fundamental to our well-being i believe yeah i totally agree jimmy and it's um it's been shown through every culture that's been around there's always that element of controlled discomfort in, in their cultures um and it's just been taken away from us because people want to sell us the heat pumps now and they want to sell us this comfort and um you know, the other classic is is cars, you know, with, you know, cars have got 12 airbags in them now. And uh, yeah. we feel so safe in our cars that texting from our car is now a problem. Whereas my first car, a lovely nine, 1980s Ford Laser, there's no way you could text from that thing because yeah. you've got to try and stay on the road. And um, yeah. so it is a funny construct. So I think. I'm always thinking about the people listening and. I love the fact that we can give them something as simple as the 30 seconds at the end of the shower as a prescription. And I've said, is there, was it, was it the Wim Hof app, app, Wim Hof app that I, that I got the prescription of that off? Is that where that is? Yeah, possibly. I think um, the Wim Hof app is great because it takes you through the Wim Hof Breathing uh, with Wim guiding you through. You can set your scores. It keeps some accountability there. And it's and free. And then I think, yeah, I think it's free. I think there might be, I think they might have put a little charge on it now, but heck, it won't be any more than an orange mocha frappuccino from your local coffee hut. So just do it. Fuck and are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> it's all these Aucklanders coming down to the mountain now, Jimmy. You get all these things. 
And, um, but it also will guide you through the cold component too. And it just helps you track it because that helps, yeah. you know, if we, if we can say to ourselves, well, how, how many cold showers have I done this month? You know? So that's, that's been a game changer for me, Nigel, is I downloaded an app called Every Day and you can track your habits over time. And uh, it runs off the psychological principle of don't break the chain. You've got these big colorful squares and if you miss it, uh, the chain gets broken. You have an, uh, <laughs> you have an ugly little white square in, in, in your colorful uh, boxes. Uh, and it also says, you know, like at the moment I am, I think I'm about 78 days into a streak of yoga every day. Wow. And if I miss today or tomorrow, then it goes, you have a zero-day streak. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you know. And so that tracking it component is a very valuable thing for me over time. Because, again, this is the thing that we need to be doing over time because doing cold showers for a week doesn't solve your problems. No, you know, not at all. It, it takes longer than that for the body to adapt and change and learn. One of the questions, I'm so, yeah, I love um, uh, float tanks, you know, really great. Uh, very, very expensive. And so I teach a sensory deprivation meditation with – um, noise cancelling headphones or earmuffs, blindfold, uh, the right amount of blankets to keep you in ambient temperature. And that's sort of like the the broke person's float tank. Yep. I don't know if there's an answer to this. I'll put you on the spot. Is there a broke person's sauna? Hmm. I, I found... Um, you can still get benefits from hot bathing. So um, the effects aren't quite as profound, of course. But, yeah, Professor Mark Cohen, who I met through Wim Hof um, some years ago now, I think he's done over 200 peer-reviewed journal articles looking at the well-being and use of um, mineral pools. So... Um, I think hot water bathing can deliver significant health benefits as well. Yeah, we've got, you know, you and I are surrounded by them down here in Tauranga. Um, yes. Fernlands is a good soda springs over here. Um, and there's the Mount Hot Pools and, and so on and so forth. Like I, I think that I kind of get it a little bit. I have a shower here that is a actual enclosed capsule like it's a it's a shower box and so it's got a roof on it and it's fully enclosed and so you can steam that thing up real good um and the water here gets super hot so i reckon i can i could get similarish benefits uh not similarish but you know some sort of cheap man's one just because i happen to have a, a box shower which i don't really see many places um but yeah i mean like I said, more and more people uh, seem to be getting saunas at their houses. So you should just go find those people and hit them up. Um, hot pools are good. Box showers like mine are good. Because, you know, like, again, not all of us can can have a have a sauna at our place. So we're always looking for those, those alternative ways to be able to do that. Um, hot towel over the head, 
steam towel. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, this Estonian sauna master, he um he was telling me how he they made a, a sauna for the day where they just get they got a big tarpaulin and uh, they lit a fire and got these hot rocks and they ended up putting the rocks inside this and yep. got the heat up and put the water well, on so it. And that... Do you know what that's called? No. In uh, in North and Central America, it is called a Temescal. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the North American Indians call it a sweat lodge. Oh, yes. And so you can make – and this, this is what's interesting is you look at this – it's everything from Scandinavian cultures through to, you know, South American cultures that have understood the benefits of uh, heat for a long period. And that's exactly you – know, I, went, I went up to one in the hills behind my house in Mexico and they, build, they built theirs out of clay. And interestingly, there's uh, there's a guy not too far up the road from us here, Nigel, out on his farm that's built one out of out of clay. And you basically you put the rocks in a fire out the front, and and heat them up, and then shovel them into the middle of your your sweat lodge, and you know pour some water on them and get exact you know basically do do a sauna in, in that way. So if you feel like building a mud hut on your property, you can also have your own Temescal or Sweat Lodge that's, uh, that's useful as well. Or go find one. <laughs> yeah, and that just reinforces that these, these techniques have been done through the ages. And, you know, you think about the Apache Indians or North American Indians, um, they probably didn't have uh, these massive mortgages that we've got they probably didn't have all the uh the stress from their employers or the constant success the keeping up with the joneses all the stuff that's sort of derailing us they probably didn't have that yet they probably did more practices that were holistic and trying to keep themselves resilient because it probably meant they stayed alive longer <laughs> and yeah. uh so um well that's just it back then it is a primitive survival tool because the happier and healthier you are the more likely you are to survive and procreate mm, yes yeah and and as i said this this comfort ep- epidemic we have here uh is putting us in significantly higher states of fight flight freeze creating massive uh epidemics of anxiety and and depression and causing us all sorts of dramas and that's why we need to be opting in for these solutions that like you said at the start then don't have to cost money now the sauna one that we talked about yeah like you got to have someone who's got it's a whole bunch of barriers the breathing has no barriers it has free apps it has all of these things that you can opt into. And the same with the cold showers. The cold showers, they are free. Because I know right now it is freezing at my house. And if I put the cold water on, it is cold. Uh, whereas, interestingly, Nigel, as you know, this doesn't work for me in Mexico because the water that comes out of my cold tap at home uh, is about 20 degrees. <laughs> so yeah. I, I can't get the cold therapy um, at home, which is strangely opposite to everybody else and we're blessed with um all all the lakes and rivers and you know the amount of coastline there's not too many excuses people can put in front of themselves how they can't go out into nature and find a cold water source which is clean so we just got to get out and explore these areas 
don't get me started on that, Nigel. 84% of our rivers are not clean. <sighs> okay. <laughs> A whole nother podcast. Okay. Uh, now, look, <laughs> the cool thing about this podcast is that I do whatever the hell I like. And instead of just interviewing one person and then another person, and then another person, uh, I'm just going to bring my friends back a lot because I cannot extract all of Nigel's knowledge in an hour. And so over the coming years, I've committed to two episodes a week for the next two years, Nigel, and I've said that now on the podcast as well. So uh, over the next couple of years, we'll bring Nigel back to talk about a whole bunch of other things that he is phenomenally good at. Uh, and give us more insights along the way. Nigel, if people wanted to get in touch with you or ask you questions or buy your things, what would they do? Um, pretty much, well, on Instagram, I'm just my name, Nigel Beach, uh, spelled B-E-A-C-H, just like the ocean. Um, but you will have to put up with me putting up, uh, you know, pictures of my kids and stuff and me having fun. So, do you have a, drinking do you have a website? Wine. Well, not well, I do. I guess element. Oh God, Nigel! Now we're gonna to have to make you a bloody website. Yeah, you do. there's nothing on that. Oh. <laughs> knee and spinal clinic. At least on that one, knee and spinal clinic. You can book an online consultation with me. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you're, element. Health you're on. so successful and so good, despite the uselessness of all of your actual selling materials. It is pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you'll you'll be able to hear Nigel on this podcast. He's uh, he's been on a bunch of other good podcasts as well. We'll get him back. We'll get him a website. And we'll send you to his proper website next time. All right, Write everybody. Thanks for thanks for checking in. Thanks, Nigel, for for giving us your expertise.